0: The Permian Basin is an abundant oil and gas producing area. Already one of the world's leading oil producing regions, the area in West Texas and Southeastern New Mexico could nearly double crude oil production by the year 2023. But who are the leaders behind this economic powerhouse? And what is their story? This is Permian Perspective. I'm your host, Krista Escamilla. Sponsored by Baker Hughes. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this morning in West Texas with small-time oilman, Mr. Bill Dingus. Bill, thanks so much for being our guest today. It's
1: great to be here.
0: I can't wait for you to explain your title. I love
1: that. Small-time (laughs) oilman.
0: I love that. I love that. We are so excited that you're going to be our guest today. I cannot wait to hear your story. But first, I want to invite everyone to take a few minutes, leave a review on iTunes. I cannot thank you enough for doing this. We are So appreciative of the reviews we've received so far, and for Apple choosing Permian Perspective to be on their new and noteworthy list. A special thank you to one of our listeners for this email. Kate said, my husband and I have been in Midland for 10 years now and love hearing the stories of the oil and gas leaders. We've seen highs and lows of the industry, and it helps to hear how other people deal with the fluctuations of this business. I especially enjoyed hearing Dr. Perryman explain how the industry leaders are trying to help the community in places that need attention. Thanks for the information and educational podcast focusing on our hometown. Well, thank you, Kate, for those kind words. I always love to hear those nice compliments. We appreciate you and we thank you for listening. This is what it's all about. We want to help and we are so thankful that you are gaining something from this podcast so thank you remember just go ahead and go on to itunes leave us a five-star review and i will read it on a future broadcast all right mr bill dingus is here with us today bill thank you so much for being a guest today i know i've known you for over 20 years wow this is i think trying to go in my memory bank i think my first time interviewing you it may be. I think it is and I'm so excited. So tell us how did you get the title of small time oil man? Well, I gave
1: it to myself and I <laughs> guess it is somewhat self-deprecating, but you know, when you think of a big time oil man, you know, you think of J.R. Ewing from Dallas and I don't have a big mahogany desk, you know, I don't have people that work for me. I have a wooden desk, but it's a small office that's it was a, an apartment that was changed over and and we keep a pretty lean and mean staff over there. It's me and my wife and a bookkeeper and and it's kind of neat, because in this day and age, you can, you can actually participate <laughs> in the oil business that way. You don't have to be a big company to uh, be active and, and busy. I have some partners, and we do stuff together. But anyway, I'm kind of small, small time.
0: Well, how did you get started in the oil and gas business?
1: Well, you know, in college, I was a geology major. And because the geology professors are really funny. And, and that's still true today. Geologists are funnier than engineers. I don't know if you've ever noticed. But
0: I have noticed. Yeah, they are.
1: And so I was having fun and, and being a geology major and that was at Rice University. And then I got out of there and worked for a little tiny oil company in Houston for a couple of years. But then I left them and bounced around for a while, decided I needed a graduate degree. So I went to University of Texas at Austin and got me a Masters and after that was freshly minted, Exxon hired me and said you're gonna go live in Midland. So that's how I got here. That was nineteen eighty seven.
0: And you have a great way of picking schools too, by the way. Two outstanding schools. Yeah, you've heard of Go Owls. Yeah. We Uh had that that love of the uh, rice owls. Both of our sons go there or went there.
1: Yeah. My son went there. Your son is there now.
0: Yeah. So how did you when when you found out when Exxon said you're moving to Midland, Texas? I mean, what did you say then? Well, Where is it?
1: No, I knew where it was. I grew up in the Texas Panhandle, which is not that dissimilar. And so I was a little disappointed because, heck, Exxon, you know they had offices all over the world and in Pensacola, Florida, too. And so I thought I'd be out here a couple of years. And at that time, that was true. Exxon moved people around a lot before then. They kind of got out of that. And then they left, actually. I left Exxon after about six years, but mm-hmm. they didn't They didn't stay around much longer than that.
0: Like early, and early though, 90s? Right, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. well, and, and that paved the way for guys like me, because when the majors left in the mid-90s, because, oh, you know, the Permian Basin's drilled up, all the traps have been found, which was somewhat true, and they left the rest of it for people like me to pick up. Well, it turns out there was an awful lot to pick up.
0: Mm-hmm. Were you nervous making that step from working from big company to going to start my own company?
1: Well, a little bit, as you would be. Right. And we tried to do wildcatting. You know, when you're wildcatting, I mean, that that means when you're drilling a well that you don't know if it's going to be a good well or a bad well, which is how the oil company, used, the oil business used to be, you'd rather own 5% of 20 wells than 100% of one just to spread your risk around. And so people in the business are always looking for a, a guy like me to pick up 5% here and 5% there. And we we made money. My, and when I say we, my wife and I did pretty well at that. But it was, it's tough going. Wildcatting is, I wouldn't want to go back to it. And for every, you know, you're supposed to have every tenth well pay for the other nine. And uh, so that's kind of how it worked. But we sort of bounced along. But it wasn't until we started lease trading with some partners that we, we actually started making some real money. And it was the same time that the horizontal drilling, the fracking, suddenly we can make oil out of the shales, which, by the way, My professors at Rice University when I was an undergrad said Mm -hmm. someday people are going to be squeezing oil out of these shales. But they thought it was going to be 50, 60 years in the future, you know, when oil was all gone everywhere and it was Mm -hmm. so valuable that you just, you know... They didn't realize it was actually gonna be the easiest oil we ever got out.
0: Interesting that they called it that, you know, that early on mm-hmm. and and then of course it came to fruition.
1: But yep. They're they're
0: pretty smart there at Rice. <laughs> yeah, you can pretty
1: much drill anywhere now if you got ten million dollars and you can make some oil, but you better hope the price holds up.
0: Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. What's the difference between now drilling and say maybe back in the nineties when you were wildcatting?
1: Well, back in the old days you had to find you had to find a place to to drill. We wrote a song once called Dance of the Pigs. It was about being a wealthy <laughs> oil magnate and we wrote it in grad school when it was hard to get a job. But uh-huh. the 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 chorus went We've studied the earth, now we track it in search of the prophesied land where anticlines show at the surface at depth, shale seal the sand, a land with available leasing and plenty of rotary rigs, a land of romance where we'll party and dance, the dance of the rich oil pigs. I love it. <laughs> it was just kind of a joke. <laughs> but the thing is, that's what it was. You had yeah. to find a closure. You had to find at depth. You needed a, a reservoir of sand, and above the sand, you had to have some sort of a seal and, and back in those days, being a geologist was really cool because he's the guy that everybody else went to and said, well, is there a trap here? Are we going to have some oil? Right. Well, nowadays, everybody knows where these shales are. And the, it, there's, there's some subtleties, no doubt, on do we want to go through this part of the formation or that part? Do we want to make this long of a lateral? And are we still in zone? There's a lot of science that's still in there. But the fact is, the oil is there. And so that used to be the biggest risk, is the oil going to be there? And now it's really not a risk at all. The risk now is cost, commodity price, and labor. Mm-hmm. You know, There's a labor shortage out here. And so sometimes the people out there aren't so good. But, but I'm not doing that. I'm not that interested in working interest. I'm more interested in picking up, identifying, hey, this is a prospective area, Mm -hmm. picking up some leases, bundling them up together, and and then trading them to somebody else for more than I paid for them. (laughs) That's how it's supposed to work. Smart.
0: (laughs) That works well. You know, a lot of people have compared what's happening here or maybe what has happened here over the years to to the gold rush, you know, years ago in California. Do you see any comparisons there? Do you see any similarities?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, sometimes I wish I wasn't in the oil production side or the risk-taking side because the people who are really making the money are the people starting restaurants, people selling clothing, hey. people, you know, <laughs> I'll do the support systems. Because the people in the gold rush who made money, I was the guy who owned the general store. Right. And sold. Selling
0: the picks. And yeah, the sold right.
1: picks and shovels mm-hmm. and, you know, feed for your mule. Right. So there's a lot of similarities to it. And, you know, it's kind of a, this boom town of Midland is a little wild and woolly and... I, you know, traffic's bad and you, everybody hears about it, but we're, we've we got some growing pains.
0: Right. We have those four key areas that we talk about a lot on the podcast that a lot of companies like PSP and Priority Midland are pouring their 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 heart into. I usually don't talk politics, but I am sitting with a former politician. So how did you get into city, city council being a businessman? Why was that important to you? Was it because of those four key areas and, and wanting to make our community better?
1: Well, former is the key word there on my political career. but
0: You were a great politician. I have to say, I was in the news business during that time, and I would love a soundbite from Bill Dingus. I mean, if we heard a Bill Dingus soundbite, everyone was like, yeah, put that one on air. Well,
1: that's very <laughs> sweet of you. The, the way I got into politics is when I was at Exxon, they... Had they were big into the United Way, and so they'd have these little rallies the, internally to Exxon, and I led a couple of those that were very successful. And the United Way people saw me and said, "Actually, first it was Midland need to read something. Oh, we want you to be our host at this big thing we're doing." And and so my bosses said, "Oh, that'd be good for Exxon to be out in the community." And so then the United Way had me do that, and I became kind of the United Way frontman for many years, mm-hmm. and had a great time. Oh my gosh, we had so much fun running these little rallies. And they were, you know, and, and it was fun for me. Right. But as a consequence, my name got out there. I had some name recognition. And then I, I found out a couple of things that made me kind of miffed about local politics. And I thought, you know, I'm going to get in there and you know, get involved. And, mm-hmm. and fortunately, I did. And I, I ran for city councilman at large. And I did it intentionally because it was a plurality. And both the first and second vote getter got elected, right? Cuz he needed 2 of them, so I kind of went after everybody's second vote.
0: <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it
1: was pure genius.
0: It <laughs> was a great idea. It worked. You were elected. And okay, you know, so I googled I googled this. So forgive me if this is not true, but I loved this quote from you. I read it in an article that it said, and I believe the article is written by your sister, maybe. It said that you are not a Democrat or Republican. You said, "It's a lot easier to represent everybody." I don't have to antagonize half of them. I thought that was so. Well, that was so funny and so you. I was just well. Like, I, I love appreciate that.
1: that. I, I don't think that's true anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sort of fifty fifty like I was then.
0: But I thought, what what a fun thing for someone to say about you too, though, because you're such a nice guy and everybody loves you. I mean, oh, they really do. And, gosh, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> good. I'm glad. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll come back and be a guest again. But I just think that's a, it's so so interesting to hear. You know, just your segue from from businessman into politics and then also just what you did for the community i mean you still i've seen you mc events and you're you're just so charismatic what is it that you love about midland
1: well there's two things that when people ask me this question i always go to and one is the the YMCA Indian Princess program Indian Guides Indian Princess a friend of mine got me in that and it's just a camping thing for father daughter father son. And then once a year, you take the whole family out. And boy, we went through that and we had so much fun. Oh gosh, I can't tell you how much fun. I miss it terribly. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is Midland Community Theater. I've been on the stage there. My son was on the stage there a lot. I have good friends over there. It's a special thing and people don't really appreciate how special it is. My son moved to Boston and he goes, oh gosh, dad, there's nothing like Midland Community Theater here in Boston. And he's right. So those are two things that I dearly appreciate about it. The... I have some very good partners here that uh, I just love them to pieces. And when we have a big success, we celebrate by going bowling. You oh, know? I love that! <laughs> yeah. So it's low key, but I just I think the world of them. And, uh, you know, there's problems living here. I like to tell people that Midland is surrounded by beautiful areas. They're just very far away.
0: Right, five and a half hours. You know, and we
1: go, <laughs> we go down to Big Bend. We go down to Fort Davis. Yes. If Anybody who lives in Midland should take advantage of that because the rest of the world can't. And it is really special down there.
0: There are mountains close by. It's just a, what... Four-hour drive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. <laughs> so, what would you would say to someone that is thinking of opening a business or starting their own business here in the Permian? What advice, because you have such great experience, what advice would you give to them?
1: Well, first of all, I'd tell them, you're going to have to pay your people a lot of money because turnover is a problem out here. And so when you run your business model, you better factor in you know an extra significant percentage for salary and benefits And of course, that's my main thing. I think that's that's the biggest problem we have around here is it's just hard to keep good people.
0: I think that's a, I mean, that is one of the best pieces of advice I've heard for opening a new business here. Because I, I don't think, I think if you're coming in from another area, you just think, oh, there's people everywhere I can hire. But here we are limited. Our unemployment rate is what one of the lowest in the country, and so finding those people, you're right, is is key. And then you're gonna have to pay them a lot.
1: Well, and and housing is a problem. That's another reason to pay them. There's no so expensive to live here. And we actually raised money for Midland Community Theater so they could buy a condominium for their their interns because they couldn't afford to, you know. They can't pay them enough to have them afford a place to live. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what churches have done for years. They have a place for their minister to live.
0: Right. How have you dealt with the oil and gas ups and downs over the years? You and I were talking, We've, see, you know, I'm sure you've seen the price of oil very high and you've seen it very low.
1: Well, yeah, actually my partners and I got out into the Delaware Basin back when that was still considered goat pasture, which is what you call non prospective oil and gas property. And we bought leases out there. Gosh, I can't even remember what year that was, for 300 dollars an acre that now would sell for 60,000 dollars an acre. Whoa, that's now you, a big you can't keep it that long. You can only hold it for a couple of years before. That, that's the interesting thing, by the way, of the game we play, is you, you buy a lease and you hope to sell the lease to somebody else, but you know, in three years it's worthless. So it's mm-hmm. not like real estate, right? right? If you buy some real estate and you can't sell it, well, it's still worth something, right? right? Well, oil and gas leases actually go to zero. So it's a very high-risk game. But anyway, we bought them out there when they were $300 an acre, and we traded them for $500 an acre. We thought we were killing it. It's and, the money. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good return. <laughs> right. But nowadays, those things are going for super high. But I'll tell you something about the Permian Basin that's kind of special. When the price fell... There's been two big falls, as we talked about before the show, mm-hmm. 2008 and then 2014. Well, in 2014, the price was $100, and it dropped to it dropped to $40, and actually went below that for a while. I think it went down to 28 mm-hmm. so it was a big precipitous fall. I remember we were at, my wife and I were at a family reunion over Thanksgiving when this happened, and everybody came up to us, oh my gosh, the price has just dropped. Did you see the news? Oh, you know, they felt really sorry for us. Mm-hmm. Well, a funny thing happened. We at the time and our partners owned several lease blocks that we had put together. We hadn't sold yet, and so you're a little worried about that. Well, it turned out the value of those leases actually went up because the price fell, and the reason is because people who were drilling in the Marcellus Basin, people who were active in the Peance Basin, people who were active in the Denver Basin, when, when the price drops. That's not the basin they wanted to be in. Mm. They wanted to be in the Permian Basin. And you had it. And we had chunks of the Permian Basin. So when these companies said, well, let's let's hunker down and go down to the Permian Basin, so the, the value of these leases actually went up. It was a surprise to me, a pleasant surprise, but nevertheless, I didn't see that coming.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And and, and actually worked out for you. Yeah.
1: It did. Yeah, it did. very nice. You know, I got a new uh, shirt and <laughs> bought some other things. <laughs>
0: talk about activity in the next 12 months. I know that you follow, I'm sure, a lot of periodicals and, and, and are always up to date on the latest. What are you seeing or what do you think is going to happen? I know we don't have a crystal ball, but what do you think is going to happen?
1: Well, first of all, I'm going to correct you. I don't read about that all the time. You don't? I know I have friends that they follow <laughs> the price of oil up and down, up and down, and they want to see what it is every day. And uh, I don't have any control over the price of oil. And so true. I don't worry about it. Good um, for you. What I worry about I do play hunches, but usually when I'm looking at a deal, I'm more interested in who's providing who's bringing me the deal. Do I know them? My partners, we have a slogan and it's the the best investment is a good partner. So I'm really more investing in people mm-hmm. than I am in prospects. Yeah. So that's one thing and and I'm, I can't really outguess the market, so My policy is I don't want to be in a deal for very long. So I don't want to be in a deal where, oh, we're going to buy these leases, and then we're going to pay a lot of money to drill some wells, and then we're going to complete the wells, and we're going to drill 100 wells out here. And in 15 years, well, maybe it's not that long, in seven years, we'll make all our money back and have this asset. I don't know what the price of oil is going to be in seven years. I really don't. So what I like to do is I like to buy these leases or some other asset and hold it for a little while, take a lot less profit, but get rid of it sooner. And as long if you keep churning those, turn it over and over, then the day that you do have the price drop or the something goes wrong with the oil business, because it will happen, then you're not caught with a huge expenditure and you know, you're not trapped.
0: That's good advice. That's a that's a great way of looking at it. And and so now I have to ask, what do you read? So if you aren't reading that, what what do you like to do in your spare time? And
1: well, I'm also in the cattle industry. Because we had some money, we we were taking some money, we were making these leases, and we thought, oh, I know what, we'll buy minerals, right? Because mm-hmm. if you buy minerals, you, there's no, they don't ever go extinct. You just get those money coming in from the minerals all the time. So we bought on these mineral funds, and, which I didn't have anything to do with it. It was simple. You just right. give people some money, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And then they give you some documents that you sign, and then you, then have you, the own, the, you own these minerals. <laughs> and every so often you get some minerals. And then the problem with that is they sold... These minerals got so valuable that you think, good Lord, sell them. I, they're overvalued. So okay. we, we ended up, instead of squirreling money away, we, we ended up having more to dispose with. So we, we bought a property to run cattle on, which, by the way, it ain't a good, it's not a good investment. <laughs> but, you know, that's, it occupies your time, and we try to improve the land and, and that uh-huh. sort of thing. But as far as the oil business we just keep on doing the same thing invest in here and invest in there and and hope that it keeps happening but like i said i don't like to have any deal that i'm in for too long
0: right right now bill all of us have been through ups and downs in our businesses and we fail at things that's just part of life right do you have a story that you could share with us that you really learned from in maybe one of those downtimes
1: well i i have several stories <laughs> which is that stick with what you know and this is true of everybody and and i came out of school and knew about geology and I've been in the business for a while with big major companies and all by myself and mm-hmm. learned about the oil business. But we've stepped out from time to time and none of those, I think that's right. I don't think any of my other investments have made anything. There's a there was a wine deal at one time that it may still work. There was we dabbled in we decided we'd dabble in the film industry for a while and you know, a, a guy stole money from us.
0: <laughs> but you learned a lesson.
1: Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. My <laughs> wife will tell you that whole business of going through that, that destruction of the oil, I mean, that, that film effort that we did le- made me learn how to negotiate and and look through legal papers and, you know, watch who watch out who you do business with. But it was funny. I have to tell you, at one point on one of these deals, the guys, we were talking to guys in California and they're like, they were trying to threaten us, right? Well, now if you do that and that and that, you could lose all your money. And we're like, Hey, we're in the oil business. We're used to losing all our money. <laughs> so that like, didn't that work. threat's
0: not going to work with us, buddy. But yeah,
1: we, we've tried to, and there's still, still some things we've, we've done outside the industry that might work out. Right. And I think some of them will, but for the most part, if I had to go back, the things I jettison or the things that I, it was outside my realm of expertise and also that little voice in the back of your head that says, mm-hmm. boy, I shouldn't be doing this, but everybody else in the room saying, hey, I like this, I like this, but there's a little voice in there saying, this is not a good deal. I should have listened to that a few times.
0: I love that. I always tell my kids that. I'm like, listen to your gut instinct. The gut knows or mm-hmm. the little voice in your head knows There's something a little off.
1: Sometimes it's like there's something about this guy I don't like. Yeah. Or there's something about, you know, sometimes it's people saying, oh, this is the best deal. I've never seen a good deal, a deal this good. Oh, that always scares me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You're like, really? Right. (laughs) So I wasn't born yesterday. (laughs) Watch out.
1: Watch out. There's another reason that it's like a gold rush town, though. There's people in town selling stuff you shouldn't buy.
0: Right. Right. Do you have a business tool that is used? you know, that you've used over the years that has been successful?
1: You know, the business tool is a spreadsheet. It's amazing what you can do with just a simple Excel spreadsheet because you put this number in and this number. I know I can change that number. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this number is going to be, but I'll guess that. And you build these spreadsheets and it comes out with a number at the bottom that sometimes confirms your your hunch and sometimes you're like, oh, I, I didn't think that was, that did not look so good. So the common spreadsheet and anybody getting in business if, you know, there's computer programs to do this, that, and the other, but if you can run a spreadsheet and you can think about the numbers, it forces you to think about what it is you're saying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes it's a little tedious, but anyway, that's what I use.
0: That's good. The numbers don't lie.
1: Well, they're only as good as the numbers you put in, but <laughs> but it makes things obvious that maybe you didn't see before. Good advice.
0: What about a quote? Do you have a quote that you live by?
1: Well, yeah, that is that If you want to be, somebody said this to me one time, one of my neighbors at the ranch, and he said, if you want good neighbors, be one. And I like to live that way, which people are just as nice to me as I am to them for the most part. And so that's my go-to belief. Also, just everybody's good somewhere. You just got to find it. Mm -hmm. And so people who you shouldn't do business with, you'll figure them out, but there's some good in them too.
0: Absolutely. What about a book, book or a podcast that you listen to? I love
1: P.G. Woodhouse. He's a he's a British humorist of a generation and a half ago, and he has a way with words that is amazing. He you have to kind of read it with a dictionary because he uses stuff, but he's got that old fashioned Queen's English, and he tells an amazingly funny story. But it's not in depth. But I'm a big PG Woodhouse fan. Woodhouse is spelled W O D E H O U S E. (laughs) I don't know why I'm, he's long dead, so he doesn't have to send me any royalties. But
0: (laughs) But that was nice of you to spell it for everyone.
1: (laughs) I really, I really do like him. And, but then I usually, except for him, I read almost all nonfiction just to try to learn more about something I didn't know about.
0: You've been here in the Permian for a long time, and I know you love it, and it's home for you. How would you explain to someone that maybe is thinking of moving here, maybe from across the country or across the world, what would you say is the best thing about being here?
1: Well, first of all, I would tell that person, don't worry about coming out here with all these West Texas people, because Midland, oh my gosh, it is an international city now. Mm -hmm. And you hear every language on the street or an H-E-B that you could imagine. And so, my advice is come on out, join the party, but don't keep to yourself. Get out and meet the people because they're just, they want you to succeed here too, just like they did.
0: Right. And I think that's the best, one of the best things about being here is everybody wants to help everybody. It's rare, very rare that you can ask someone hey, you know, can I ask you a question? And they go, no.
1: Well, you know, (laughs) it used to be you'd be in the airport in Denver or Dallas or whatever, and you're flying to Midland, and you'd see, you'd know everybody, or not everybody, but you'd know several people Mm -hmm. in the line, and and you could always see that. And so one time, oh, gosh, you know, this is maybe six, seven years ago, but I was looking around in in Denver in the line and couldn't see anybody I know. I thought, this is kind of new. And then the girl next to me, she goes, is something wrong? And I said, yeah, you know, usually I can find somebody in it. Give me a ride home. I don't know anybody in this line. I said, "Who are you?" And she told me her name, and she was the wife of my attorney. You're kidding. <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh, great! Can you give me a ride home?" Yeah. So, it. <laughs> some things funny. don't change.
0: Right, right. That is the beauty of it. It really is. Uh, what advice would you give someone, Bill, that is maybe on a similar journey as you, or maybe wants to go down the path that you have as a businessman? What advice would you give them?
1: Well, I my advice is if you if you feel like you should do something go ahead and do it, because the things I regret most are the things I didn't do.
0: Mm, good advice. Maybe you have thought about this, maybe you haven't. Do you have an idea of what you would like your legacy to be?
1: Oh, what is it going to say on my tombstone? <laughs> your legacy. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I don't want to name a street named after me or something like that. I, I just want the little things I do to be remembered by people You know, whether it's a little prank I played on somebody because I have deep affection for them or just a kindness I did. In fact, that's I love it when people say, oh, I met you years ago and you did this and this and this. I have no recollection of that. This doesn't happen all the time, but it happens to everybody, right? Right. You know, and you did this thing that meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And so it's the little things like that. And so I don't need a big legacy.
0: Well, I think your kindness is one of those things that I can always think of looking back just through the years of any interaction.
1: How dare you say that? (laughs) (laughs) Any
0: interaction that anyone has had with you. It, it always leaves a smile on your face. You always feel you feel like, and this is for people that can't see Bill and, and look in his eyes, when you when you're talking to you, you always feel like you're really listening and that you really want good for the other person. And I think that's a beautiful trait that you have. Oh well, so, thanks. There, I'm throwing my two cents in on one of your legacies. <laughs> yeah, whenever I see somebody
1: picking up trash or sweeping, you know, in the corner of a store, I always or they'll come out of the 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 restroom at the 7-Eleven and they've got the mop and everything. I always try to say, Well, thanks for cleaning up. And they always appreciate that, right. you know.
0: I think there there was a quote, and I can't i'm I can't remember it all, but it's like you you can make everybody feel like a somebody, and you have that. Ability, which well, is really you. cool. So, thank you for sharing with us today. I know when when I surprised you with the phone call this week and said, "Hey, will you be on my podcast?" and you said yes, and you were coming here. Is there anything maybe I haven't asked you that you were kind of hoping? Oh, I hope I get this out on the podcast. <laughs> no,
1: but I have to tell you, if I'd have known how nice you were going to be, <laughs> I would have I would have been here a lot sooner.
0: Oh, thank <laughs> so, you. It's been great to
1: be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story. I think it is a, a great story. I think it's one we can all learn from. I love your advice. And if anyone wants to reach out to you, do you have, are you on social media? Are you a LinkedIn? uh, I'm in the phone
1: book. Does anybody have one of those anymore?
0: (laughs) I don't know why I had a feeling you were going to say that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm on Facebook. I don't Twitter, you know, but no, no one's going to want to call me up.
0: Well, if they do, they can just Google Bill Dingus yeah, and they, they can, can find call you. You, you can
1: send them my way.
0: You got it. You got it. Bill, thank you so much for sharing this time with us. We cannot thank you enough. I say we like there's other people in here. Me. I cannot thank you enough. <laughs> it's been fun. And I hope to maybe do this again another time and we can tackle some other topics that we didn't get to today. Well, so. it was
1: great to be here. I wish you all the success with your podcast and I appreciate you getting the message out to the rest of the world what we're doing here.
0: Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. Bill Dingus in in his own words, small-time oilman, but I call him a big oil and gas investor. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much, Bill. It's time now for today's community MVP, and this is an easy one. It's also near and dear to my heart because I'm on the board. First T West Texas. That's right. We now have a program here in West Texas, and they recently launched their life skills program. First T West Texas is now all already in every MISD school, which is just amazing. So that's the Midland Independent School District, and it is now being taught in the PE classes. But now it's taking a step further. We recently launched the Life Skills Program at Nueva Vista Golf Course. So a special thank you to Nueva Vista for allowing us to be on your site. And of course, a big special thank you to all the volunteers who are teaching the kids. We had a sold out program. LPGA and Hall of Famer Judy Rankin was on hand, who I just love and am honored to call call a friend. She was just amazing. She showed up for our launch of our Life Skills program. And I just want to show... A special thank you to Bill Kirby, who is the executive director and has really been instrumental in getting First T West Texas into the Permian Basin. For more information, you can go to firsttwesttexas.org. And that's our community MVP. Let's give them a big round of applause. Yay! Way to go, First T West Texas. Also, a special thank you to our sponsor, Baker Hughes. We could not have our Permian Perspective podcast without you. So thank you so much, Baker Hughes. And that's it. Of course, we can't have a podcast without our listeners. So thank you for listening today. This concludes the episode. Episode of Permian Perspective, the story behind the oil and gas leaders in the Permian Basin. So just remember my motto, dream big and believe in yourself and you make it a great day.
2: Hey guys, we have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. OGGN's next Houston Happy Hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon for four to six. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this happy hour, we will be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver happy hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House, Denver, and Oilfield Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tamora-Leste Oil & Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dilley, Tamora-Leste. The SMRP 3rd Quarter West Houston Chapter Meeting is on October 3rd at 1130 in Houston. This event will cover the topic, Are your PMs Preventing or Causing Failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a Disruptive Energy Workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark LaCour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush-China conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional, and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship.
0: Tune in next week for another episode of Permian Perspective, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at www.oggn.com.